0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at The Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today.
1: Well, if you haven't already, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're in the hall of faith, God's hall of faith, which is such a wonderful chapter. Sometimes we talk about Acts 28 and how at the end of it, there's still churches after that that got planted. So we talk about, you know, the Acts 29 reality that there's the next chapter of all that God's done all the way out. And uh, of course... I'm not speaking of adding to the scriptures, I'm just saying we think Acts 28, there's more churches to be planted, so we're in the era of Acts 29 and following. With Hebrews, Hebrews 11, man, it's one of those chapters that could just go on and on and on too, you know, because it's not just these guys and gals that we look at and what they did by faith. God is calling us to live by faith. We're only saved through faith having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But really, God doesn't intend us to just do a transaction with Him, knowing we're gonna go to heaven rather than hell when we die. He wants us to walk by faith, to experience life with Him and relationship with Him. And so all of life is to be kind of a faith adventure, even though, as we've seen in Ecclesiastes, things get hard sometimes. Well, let me read verses eight through 22. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead. How do you like that to describe you? That man was good as dead when that, God did that thing through him. And uh, uh, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. I just love that phrase. They saw them afar off. Sounds like Andy Griffith talking in what I showed you before the time. Seen them afar off, were assured of them, those promises, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Pilgrim's Progress. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. They, had, they came from some great developed cities. Abraham or the Chaldees was happening. It was, it was developed and good things happening. They were building big buildings and stuff. And God called him and he wound up going to the promised land. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, his one of a kind son. And now let me—it's interesting how faith talks, right? Because was he was um, he Abraham's only son? No, there was Ishmael, right, and then there were later sons too. This is us speaking about the only one like this for this purpose, right? Um, one-of-a-kind son, the child of promise, of whom it was said, "In Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. We're going to talk about God's binoculars tonight as we look at this. But first, I got a little story for you. It's a true one. Billy Graham used to tell of a time early in his ministry when he arrived in a small town to preach a sermon. And uh, wanting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy where the post office was. And when the boy had told him, Dr. Graham thanked him and said, hey if you'll come to the Baptist church this evening, you can hear me telling everyone how to get to heaven. And the boy replied, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know your way to the post office. A <laughs> True story. That's a good one, isn't it? Um, well, thank God that Billy Graham really did know the way to heaven better than he knew the way to the post office. <laughs> Remember, our last message in Hebrews 11 was, after so many chapters in Hebrews of talking about how Jesus is this Uh, you know, great savior who's given us this great salvation, the author of Hebrews began to talk to us about faith. So everything was building up to the point where he talked about this life of faith that we want to live and be like these great ones that have come before. And he told us in the last time was that the only way to please God is through faith, the life of faith. So faith is trusting, we saw this last week, faith is trusting that the God who you can't see is more important in your life than whatever you can see. And we saw that the only testimony that matters is what God says about us because in those first seven verses, it says God said this about, he testified about Abel and Abel's faith. God testified about Enoch's faith. God testified about Noah's faith that all these men loved him and walked with him. And so, yeah, we want to talk about God and testify for him. uh, But remember what Jesus said? Man, the ones that know me. I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to talk about you before the angels. Yeah, this one's mine. This is my Wesley. This is my Kathy. That's pretty neat to think about. So, and I, I did ask that as a question last week because it, it's worth thinking about and considering. It still burns my heart. What would God's testimony be about Danny Campbell? And uh, man, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you know? And so we want to ask ourselves that question some. God... What do you have to say about me? Search me. Try me. Like some of the Psalms that we've been looking at on Sunday night say, search my heart. Try me. If there's any way that doesn't need to be there, Lord, let's get it out, you know. Um, so confess and forsake. Today we come to Abraham, his son and his grandson. We call them the patriarchs, which is another way of speaking of the forefathers of the faith. So the forefathers. And many times when God reiterates his unconditional covenant to Israel, he talks about how he had spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, patriarchs. Now, you know that we talk about um, a parent, the dad is the paternal line, so the patriarchs has that sense in there, Uh, the patronage, the patriarchy, uh, the um, patriarchs. More space is given to Abraham than anyone else mentioned in Hebrews 11. And since you're talking about faith, that's fitting because we associate faith with Abraham. The Bible regards Abraham, in a sense, as the father of faith, and we see that in many New Testament scriptures. And the key moment in Abraham's life, Genesis 15:6, when it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God said... I just view you as righteous from this time forward, even though you're going to do a couple of stupid things along the way. You know, Abraham did a lot of great things. He did a couple of stupid things. This is my sister when she wasn't his sister. You know, he's scared. Um, but let's get into the text here. So, verses 8 to 16. Faith is believing that a promise made by God is a promise that will be kept by God. A few years back, 20 years or so ago now, there was this great organization called Promise Keepers and men gathered together, worshiped, and prayed for each other, had racial reconciliation, all kinds of great things going on, and uh, many men's men's ministries are still the beneficiaries of that today. But we're reminded that the ultimate promise keeper is God himself, right? So the key to understanding our passage today is the occurrences of the word promise. God's made promises, and he has kept promises, and whatever promises are outstanding, he will be sure and keep them. Look at verse 11 again here. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Judged him faithful who had promised. The thought of a 90-year-old woman having a baby at first made Sarah laugh, (laughs) but then just like Abraham, she believed God. And faith is contagious like that. Abraham's faith wore off on Sarah. She had to have her own, but she did. And together there was no more conniving like the incident with Hagar. Now, there's a key there in verses 13 and 14. It says they saw afar off. I made a big deal of that when we read the text. So if faith can see afar off, then faith is God's binoculars, right? Because oftentimes we can only see what's in front of us, and one of the problems is people act on only what they can see, and when they can't trust that God's at work, they make decisions based on what they can see instead of God's binoculars being able to see into the future and decisions made now, the ramifications they have. So with faith, we trust God. We believe that a promise He has made to us will be kept by Him, period. And that's the problem in America, isn't it? We have lost the ability to see afar off. That's most of the problems, instant gratification, right? Did you hear the story recently? A Social researcher put before a six-year-old two Oreo cookies and $10,000 worth of cash. Guess which one the six-year-old chose? The two Oreo cookies. He had no context to appreciate what that money could do for him, how many Oreos it could buy him and stuff, you know. And, and that's what we do with God we say hey I don't know about all that I know you're talking about sacrifice ultimately Lord God it's going to be some sacrifice now and some maybe even some persecution now maybe some people won't like me now you know maybe that girl won't date me now you know kind of thing um, but uh, I need, I need to go with what I can see and uh, we've lost the ability to see afar off in America and it's affected everything um, so we get We believe this world is all there is, so we get out of anything that doesn't bring us instant gratification. People do it with friendships, they do it with marriages, they do it with church, Um, and it's very sad. What a contrast to the people that came over on the Mayflower. You ever thought about that? Listen to some of these uh, things I'm gonna tell you here. When they came to America from England, there were 102 passengers on the Mayflower ship, including 33 children. The sailors on board the ship ridiculed the Puritans for taking time each morning to recite or sing psalms and pray. So even as they're coming from England to America, they're getting ridiculed you know, by these sailors. <laughs> You're fools. As 50-foot waves pounded the boat, icy seawater would leak into the passenger quarters. William Button died on the trip, and they had to bury him at sea. Couldn't keep his body on there, so he didn't make, even make it over. After 65 days, they finally saw their new home, what they had sailed toward. They fell to their knees in joy and celebrated by reading Psalm 100, the great 100th, the old 100th, the Scottish people called it. By the spring, by the springtime, 15 of the 19 women had died. And only four couples that had left England on the trip had both spouses still alive. Nine of the 33 children also died. They had survived and they were thankful, but they had lost 50% of those who had made the trip. How could they endure all that? Because they saw afar off. They saw that America would be a place where God could be worshiped without all the trappings and the sinful excesses of the king of england and fickle changing from catholic to uh, protestant but a but a catholic version of protestantism and stuff like that and how they both persecuted catholics and english protestants alike both persecuted baptists and others with different views from them you know and stuff like that and they were coming to uh, have religious liberty now unfortunately for some they said, okay, now that we're here, let's have our state churches and stuff, and so we had to fight that battle afresh, and Baptists were in there on getting religious liberty for all, Um, but we forget sometimes how they could see afar off. Faith is preparing in the present for that which may not be fulfilled until the future. May not be fulfilled until the future. And it's not just Americans as a whole. Sometimes American Christians have lost the ability to see how what they do fits into something God has been doing for years before them and will be doing years after them. Whew. Faith sees a far off. I think about um, all the the, uh, Christian colleges uh, that have buildings... When I was at Bryan, I stayed in Woodley Ewing Dormitory. And I didn't think anything of it at the time, you know. But later on, somebody told me the story of Woodley and Ewing, those families and things, and, oh, they really loved the Lord. And they sacrificed and they gave so that people would have a place to stay when they were educated as believers. I think about um, uh, at Wayne Hills Baptist Church, uh, there was a fellowship hall, and it was called the Farrell Fellowship Hall. And uh, at a time where their finances were thin, the Pharaohs had remembered uh, the church in their state, and a $200,000 gift at a time that 200000 was like $2 million today was given, and facilities were created that added to Sunday schools and all those different things. And I think about how cool it is, stuff like that, seeing afar off, seeing after this lifetime and acting accordingly now in praying, because prayers are like time release capsules, aren't they? There are people that are already in heaven. I bet you old uh, Ray Crabb you know, had somebody in the past praying that he'd be saved. They're in heaven already, and that Time Relief's ca- capsule of prayer at the appropriate time went off, and now he's a Christian. You know, And uh, so prayer, deeds, giving, all those different things, we, we just don't know. We can only see what's in front of us, and one day God will show us the rest. The pilgrims acted in faith because they were making a better way for their ancestors than what they had, Many did not experience the very things that hope, they hoped would come later. Um, we had a great example here in Virginia of somebody seeing something before it came to be. And David Thompson's going to tell you who I'm thinking of. Dr. Jerry Falwell. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. He saw everything that's there now and then some. That's right. He saw it by faith. He, he, saw, he saw not just not just. A few crazy people, like Lamar Mooneyham and others, studying to go into the ministry, he saw thousands of students like that, and, and he, he, he definitely saw that related to preachers. Another man of faith came alongside and helped him. He talked to a young Elmer Towns and he said, Elmer, will you come and help me train preachers here? He said, nope. He said, but I'll come if you train not only preachers, but lawyers and doctors and nurses and teachers, if we can do all that. And, and help create one of the foremost Christian universities. I'll come because the world doesn't just need preachers; it also needs missionaries, and it needs teachers, and homemakers, and you know, coaches, and all the different things that Liberty also puts people out into, which is pretty neat. Uh, we celebrated at Homecoming, Word of Life Ministries, you know, and Jack Workson saw a lot of what Word of Life would become and the impact it would have. So faith is seeing afar off. Also, faith is ordering your life according to those promises. So we're still looking at verses 8 through 16 because verse 9 talks of the land of promise, the promised land, and verse 10 equates it with heaven also. The whole land had been promised to Abraham and his descendants, but during his lifetime, Abraham was never a homeowner in the promised land. Do you remember that? He lived in tents. He he had to resolve conflict like a foreigner in the land. And uh, every once in a while, he... uh, made a down payment on the promised land. Can you think of a time he made a down payment on the promised land? He knew it was going to be his. God had promised it to him and stuff. But remember when Sarah died and he needed a place to bury her? He picked out the place and he bought it from the man. The man said, no, you can have it. We respect you. And he said, no, no, I want to get a deed. And that was the first property a Jew owned in the promised land for all that was going to happen after that. Do you remember... uh, another time Abraham had a conflict, Uh, I believe it was the one with the well, you know, and uh, not with uh, Lot, but with um, Abimelech, they said, okay, we got these different things, and at the end of resolving that conflict, and Abraham must have been thinking, man, God's promised this to me. I'm not going to see any of it in my lifetime, but God's promised that my descendants will be here, and he said, forever. I believe God when he said forever, you know, so what did Abraham do? He planted a tree and called on the name of El Elom. Anybody know what El Elom means? The everlasting God. I'm here as a temporary sojourner, as it says in the text here in Hebrews 11, but God is going to be doing things generations after me. Think about Jeremiah 29 when um, the false prophets were saying, you know, Nebuchadnezzar grabbed us up and brought us here to Babylon, but don't you worry, we're about to go right back. And Jeremiah said, don't you believe it, 70 years of captivity. So what do you do? What do you do? Go ahead and plant gardens, build houses, get your Jewish boy married to some Jewish girls out there, you know, and things like that, you know, uh, and uh, seek the shalom of the place I planted you temporarily. What's that? Babylon, not Jerusalem. In their hearts, they were grieving. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah says, that's going to be 70 years from now. Well, if you were 15 or 16 like Daniel was when you were brought to Babylon, you're going to be 86. Most people are going to die. So in Jeremiah 29, when Jeremiah lays all that on there, that's where he brings in verse 11. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. All their life was going to be lived in difficult Babylon, the lion's share of it. But as they were faithful and served God and honored the Torah and the law of Israel and all that God had for them, their children and for some of them, not even as their grandchildren and their great grandchildren, were going to be the beneficiaries of them having God's binoculars and obeying what God had said. Faith is ordering your life according to these promises. And when verse thirteen says they all were strangers and pilgrims. Abraham had said that himself, Genesis 23, 4. I'm just a stranger and a pilgrim. And I hope we've come to understand that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Y'all ever sing that one? That's a good one, isn't it? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. So I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Okay, this faith-ordered life is seen in three areas of faithfulness. The first one, letter A there, is faithfulness to the God moments in your life. Now, what do I mean by God moments? Those rare occasions where God makes something absolutely clear to you. I like how sometimes Brother David talks about it, the call to salvation. All the times he said no, and then he said yes. And he never had to worry about the call to salvation again, you know. Um, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, Genesis fifteen six. That was a permanent righteousness for Abraham. For me, that was December 16, 1984. It still burns in my mind, a Christ December saved that day. And I think about my um, great privilege these 39 years now as a Christian to see so many turn to Christ and be saved, and it's just awesome. Like the moment of salvation, like the moment you were assured of your salvation. For some of us, there was another time after salvation where we were doubting a little bit and God orchestrated circumstances and we can tell the story. I won't tell mine tonight, but I've told it before. Uh, And I had assurance of salvation and never doubted after that. For some, that goes all the way back to the moment of conversion and uh, you were taught well enough that you knew that. For others, there was a little bit of struggle in there. Uh, Like a call to the ministry. I think about so many great stories I've known over the years and seen it happen, you know, where there was a call to the ministry. I think about a man that's been in heaven for years now named Ray Beatty. He got that call in his 40s and followed it, uh, took his wife and children, and went off to get some training and stuff. I think it was at Liberty. And he became a pastor of mostly small churches, but God gave him a great ministry, and people need country preachers, too, to go along with the city preachers and stuff. I think about other stories I've heard over the years. I think about some of what I see God doing now, you know, a young man in our church, uh, two or three of them, you know, that uh, and, and a lady or two also exploring what God's got for them that will be some kind of ministry without being a pastor, you know. So I believe women get called into ministry and service too. We just don't think it's the pastoral teaching role, you know, uh, as we read the Scriptures. But... You know, uh, you might have seen a young man come to the altar this past Sunday and stuff, and that's the very thing, you know, uh, just, just uh, solidifying that and following it in his life and heart. I think about Abraham in our text today. When he was asked to go to a place that I will show you, he said to God, yes, Lord. It was a defining moment, a God moment. And I do think that sometimes um, uh, saying yes to God in these God moments is like a long journey by plane (laughs) and when you say yes to god and board the plane you go from where you are to the next place he wants you to land um and when you say no to god you kind of get in a holding pattern uh, until you land uh, where he wanted you to be and then he's going to deal with you about the next thing i think god is so gracious for oftentimes how he works with us Um, it, it generally is one burning thing at a time uh, you know, now, uh, uh, sometimes as believers, we know, man, there's tons of things I got to work on. There's a dozen things that are wrong in my life, you know. Uh, and sometimes as a non-Christian comes to Christ, they've got all that also, you know. But God is generally very gracious with us, and one thing he impresses on us. And I think that, you know, that, that, that happened with me. I've seen, seen it happen with so many others I've ministered to over the years. And as you clear up each one, God takes you to the next one, and you're spirit feels a little lighter and freer, and you go to the next thing. So uh, for a non-Christian, the one thing is turning to Christ for salvation, agreeing that you've got the need the Bible says you have, agreeing that Christ is the provision God has for you, and you turn to him his way, repentance and faith for salvation. Well, after you get saved, generally, he deals with uh, one of two things first. Generally, there's a, a uh, understanding what baptism is about, and saying yes to, okay, I've trusted Christ, now I get baptized as a public testimony of what's happened to me. But sometimes, even before that happens, there's something else that a believer's so burdened about, a new believer, and that's forgiving somebody who's hurt them or asking for forgiveness from somebody they've hurt. So forgiveness is oftentimes one of those early things, too. Uh, one of the early things generally is uh we've spent our entire life in, being encouraged to think about stuff as ours. And here we have to think in terms of stewardship, meaning it's not mine, 100% of it's God's, and then coming to this biblical conviction about tithing and giving, right, uh, and those things. And uh, sometimes it is a call to the ministry. Sometimes it is a burden that I've got to put off a bad relationship, that I, you know, I'm in a dating relationship and I'm a Christian and they don't want to follow, you know. Um, and those things, the God moments of life. Uh, the second one here is um, faithfulness in little things. It was our Lord himself who taught us this, wasn't it? The person who's faithful in the little things is gonna be given more responsibility, but the person who has shown themselves unreliable in little things uh, will watch as a helpless spectator as others are given the blessing of fulfilling what they didn't accomplish. Gave you the verse here, Matthew 25, 21, where Jesus says that. You were faithful in little things. Well done. Going to give you more responsibility. It looks like from Matthew 25, which is one of the future passages, prophecy passages, it looks like some of our faithfulness in this life will mean blessed responsibility when Christ reigns on earth. Uh, You know, so if uh, you like being Miss Bossy Pants or whatever, (laughs) you you might get to rule the new Danville, you know, if you're faithful now maybe not. Uh, Abraham's life wasn't perfect, but it's a testimony to this principle, for instead of returning to a city much more developed than anything Canaan had to offer, he lived in tents as a resident alien in the Promised Land. He was faithful in his dealing with Lot, letting Lot choose which place to live. Lot chose the city, Abraham turned the other way. But when Lot was in trouble, Abraham came to hell. He was fair in his dealings with Hagar and Ishmael, uh, incredibly concerned about his son Ishmael when you read the text. You know, he was crying out to God, what about Ishmael? You know, I'm concerned about him too. Um, He was faithful in his concern to teach Isaac to marry a believer, and he helped make it so by sending his servant to seek out Rebecca. One of the highest compliments I ever received was by a man that I hope you still get to meet one day. I think he's still actively pastoring. It's still in the Dayton, Tennessee area. But the last two years I was in college and all three years I was a recruiter, I went to Bill Smithson's church. And, uh, you know, when I wasn't recruiting for Brian, and I was in, I'd help with the children's ministry, and he considered me one of his young preacher boys and had me lead singing up there, because he knew a moment would come like this where you needed to be able to lead singing and things. you know? And, um, but the highest compliment, he said, at my ordination, when I was ordained, he said, Danny was faithful when he didn't have to be. And I still count that as It means more to me than being in the Bryan College Hall of Fame, although that means a lot to me. (laughs) A lot of people want to do big things for the Lord, but they don't have a track record of faithfulness in the little things, and that's not God's way. And I've learned over the years if a person that feels a call to ministry, uh, you know, you, you talk to them about some area of need that's not necessarily super fun to do, and they kind of recoil. No, I meant I wanted to preach on a Sunday morning. It's like, well... That ain't never happening with this attitude <laughs> and stuff. We serve and 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 God grows us, and it comes along. Uh, I think about Mike and Mary Beverly, godly couple up in the uh, valley, um, who uh, I kind of envision a role for David. David's doing some of these things right here, like this at the church. But they just they just minister to so many people in so many ways. And we called him our minister of visitation and ordained him so that he could get into all the hospitals, you know, because some hospitals say, well, you can't come in if you're not a minister right now. woo hoo You know, so we, we took care of that. And the Beverlys, they were faithful to tithe, show up, love and encourage, hard to love preachers, faithful to use the gifts they did have, faithful to try when a need called for a gift they didn't have, faithful to overcome when they got a little discouraged. When we planted a church in our former building, we moved from city to county in a bigger facility, Uh, God orchestrated it so we could plant a church back in our former building, which is great because we didn't want it to be a Masonic lodge or something, you know. Um, And the Beverlys felt God's call and helped get that going and basically served as an associate pastor. Still do to uh, Gary, the pastor up there. Letter C, faithfulness and covenant obligations. And we won't spend a lot of time here, but by that I mean the vows that you've made, uh, your marital vows. These days, marriages face so much, it absolutely thrills me when I see marriages that had struggled make it. Um, But over the years, I've also seen, you know what marriages make it when there's a little bit of struggle? It's when both parties decide to have God's attitude about their marriage, to do their part for the glory of God, even if the other person, it takes them a little longer to get there. Um, I think also about covenant responsibilities when we have children, you know, uh, to love them, to pray for them, to care for them, uh, to have, uh, once they're out of the home, if they don't do right, the prodigal father's heart rather than just say, oh, those ones messed up, you know, Um, but to keep on loving them and thinking about them. uh, It's a really till death do us part kind of thing, right, you know, and always hoping they'll be back and maybe doing some praying that's like time-released capsules in their life one day. So the third section here, verses 20 through 22. Faith is an incredible legacy for the generations that follow. Do you see that here? Abraham taught his son Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and then uh, Jacob, the sons of Joseph, and the rest of the sons as well, and it just went on. And uh, it just went on down from there. You know, uh, it says here, Joseph gave instructions concerning his bones. Verse 22, by faith, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel, and gave instruction concerning his bones. And today in Israel, in the city of Shechem, that's fun to say, Shechem, less than 30 miles from Jerusalem, the bones of Joseph lie there, uh, ready to be raised at the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. But faith sees afar off and faith remembers afar off also, right? So let's looks, looks real quick turn to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. And I'm just going to read verses 32 and 33 because they relate directly to uh, keeping the promise. And sometimes it takes. A while to keep the promise. Sometimes it takes even into future generations to keep the promise, right? Uh, and look what they did here. Joshua 24, 32, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, they buried him in a hill belonging to Phineas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So they were all looking beyond their death. Jacob and Joseph were all looking beyond death to the things that would matter after they were gone, the eventual fulfillment of God's promises to Israel and the world, which is pretty neat. And that brings us to our last point for tonight, Abraham and the missing lamb. So we go back to verses 17 through 19, and this great story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. You remember what uh, Isaac asked Abraham the day they went up to sac- do a sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice, Dad? You got everything. You've got all the things here from Walmart for the sacrifice, but you forgot the lamb, Dad. God's like, I can't tell. Him. I don't know about telling him about all this, you know. Get on, get on the, get on the altar, son. You know. <laughs> uh, wow, wow. There's some sights you'd like to be able to see, you know, and maybe in heaven we'll get to see these moments through. Maybe God's always been taping stuff. I don't know, you know. Uh, but um, what did Abraham say? God Himself will provide a lamb, son. <laughs> get on up there. Uh, and then Abraham went on to express faith in God, spoken of in our text in verse 19. Do you see it there? It says, concluding, Abraham thought about this, and he concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By the way, have I ever shown you guys the video e it's the story of a tribe coming to Christ in Papua New Guinea. Maybe we'll take a couple nights, Wednesday nights sometime in here and watch e and then E-Tau too. It's the story of uh, E-Tau means amen, it is so. And um, so they show a new tribe's missionaries, now new tribes is called Ethnos 360. And Bob and Judy Ambrosius, who we're going to have as guests here on October 29th for a few minutes in the morning service and in Sunday school in here, they're the ones that went to the Philippines and basically led a people group to Christ, gave them the New Testament, gave them the Old Testament. Tabernacle helped them do it, you know, uh, as one of their supporting churches and stuff, and praise God for them. I mean, they they literally took a people group that was unengaged, unreached people group, engaged them, spent the best years of their life there, and uh, helped get them not only saved but also the Bible and raised up teachers and things like that, great stuff. But so... He tells the story of a whole tribe in Papua New Guinea coming to Christ like that. But what they did was they taught creation to Christ. When the time for the teaching came after they learned language, they taught creation to Christ. And when they got to the story of Abraham, they would always do a cliffhanger. You know, like the serial uh, things that you used to watch in the movie theaters and, and sometimes... well, Remember when you couldn't just binge 12 episodes of something in a row? You had to wait till the next week to see what was going to happen, right? Well... <laughs> um, They were doing that, teaching these guys and the gals. And they had the teaching time and they said, Abraham has this dilemma. He's gonna, he's been told by God to sacrifice his son. Next week we're gonna tell you what happened. But if any of you kinda think you might know what happened, come come talk to us and tell us what you think might happen. And those thoughtful, Villagers, primitive they would be called, but so in tune. When they heard about evolution, they said, That sounds stupid. <laughs> you know? uh, when they started with creation, so that makes sense, even though we believe it comes from a bird or something, you know. Uh, but uh, four different men came to the missionary and said, Well, Abraham is a righteous man, so he'll do what God says. But God, being a loving God, somehow going to resolve this with a substitute of some kind. (laughs) Didn't know the story at all, but the story of substitute really starts all the way back in Genesis 3, doesn't it? When God himself kills a sacrifice and clothes them, covers over their awkwardness, their shame, their guilt, their sin. Because the word for atonement in the Old Testament is the same as the word covered in Genesis 3. And so it was already in their mind. And of course, that's what happened. And as we see here, Abraham concluded that God was able, even if Isaac died, he'd raise him up somehow, but sacrifice in the substitute. And uh, as he expressed that faith in God, God said, you don't have to do it. I'm gonna provide a lamb. And he was ready to sacrifice his unique son. God held him back and a sacrificial ram was provided in Isaac's place. And it's one of the Bible's great stories. But what Abraham was willing to do but didn't have to do, but he did it by faith. God actually did. God actually did. Abraham saw afar off, and I think part of him understood, man, God's going to provide the ultimate sacrifice one day. From my seed, as the promise was that from your seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Mm, Pretty good. Do you know what happened 40 generations after Abraham? There was Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and his 12 sons, Joseph, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Amunadab, Nasham, Salmon and Rahab, Boaz and Ruth, you know about Matthew 1, Obed, Jesse, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abiha, As, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, who I talked to the kids about this morning, Jeconiah, Sheltiel, Zerubbabel, Abiud, Eliakim, Azar, Zadok, Akam, Elihud, Eleazar, Nathan, Jacob, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Jesus, the legal line of Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Old Testament cover temporarily. Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Abraham had been told in your seed, all nations will be blessed. Christ was that seed. Boy, did God ever keep his promise. Let's pray.